Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. Hey, welcome to church, peeps. Thanks for the one, one clap of support. That was good. We're going to pan in real close. And we're going to pan out, and we're going to pan in again. So let's pan in real close first. Sometimes the brothers would wake up in the middle of the night, panting, sweating, still hearing the cries of their brother Joseph as he was led away by the Ishmaelites to a life of slavery, who knows how much longer it would be. And they again would begin to panic. What's happened to him now? Where is he now? Is there something I could have done? Could I have standed? Could I have stood against all the other ones? And maybe there would have been a chance. Well, now it's 20 years later, and they've had a lot of time to think. And you know that guilt, they press it down. They seem to get away from it for a while, but it always bubbles back to the surface And now the entire land is full of famine. And now they're not just young men, they're fathers. And so they have their own boys. And they understand maybe a little bit better what it was that they deprived Jacob of his son, Joseph. And as the famine begins to take hold of the land, they know soon this family is going to starve. There is no more food. And My kids are going to starve. And they just wonder, you know, when you feel guilty, you start jumping at shadows. And they begin to wonder, did we do this? Is this finally God's judgment for what we did to Joseph? Is that why now our family is forced to starve? Because God is getting back at us in some way for what we've done? Things are bad physically, but they're also bad spiritually. Things have taken a real dip. This family, this chosen family, according to great-grandpa Abraham, at least, and grandpa Isaac, and the old man, dad, Jacob, this was supposed to be a chosen family of favor, that there was a promise made, and it was that someday God was going to use this family to bless all of the families in the world. But that doesn't look like that's going to happen now because this family is likely not going to make it out of this famine. So they're stuck. The plan is stuck. They are stuck in their guilt. And they don't know that their brother that they sold away is now the ruler of the most powerful nation on earth. They don't know how God has ultimately proven himself faithful and been good to Joseph, and they don't know that this God, who they know they've done wrong, is getting ready to do good to them. Can you trust that sometimes it has to get a little bit worse before it can get better? That's how God operates sometimes. Sometimes the first step in redemption, feels like you're going down the drain. And that's what it feels like for this family. And this isn't really all that weird if you just look at what the Bible says God tends to do. Think about the, la- the raising of Lazarus. Well, 
He was raised, but he was dead first, had to die first. Jesus did calm the storm, but first there had to be a storm. He didn't just calm a a little puff of wind. And yes, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, but he didn't rise from the dead until he was dead. This is how God operates, and this is how God operates in our lives. So why don't you pan out with me? Let's go and look at the long-term story of what God is trying to do. See, the entire Bible is a story. It's God's story. It's about God, and it's about God's rescue of the people that essentially said, yeah, we don't want you to be our king. Forget it. And they walked away not knowing how it would damage everything about the world when they walked away from its true king. But God, because he's loving and merciful, and really he just always wants good for his creatures, he says, I'll make a way myself to get these humans back. And so in this first chapter, you see over here, you can't really read it very well. I need more slides than just one, I guess. But um, in the brown, that's God's promise to Abraham. And that's Genesis 17, 1. He says, I am God Almighty. This is how he reveals himself to Abraham. And you got to understand about God, God is many things. God is multifaceted. And sometimes with the characters of the Bible, he, he reveals a facet of who he is. And even throughout history, Up until Jesus, the perfect representation of God, he's been revealing things about himself. So he told Abraham, I'm God Almighty, and he set Abraham's family apart. And then as the centuries rolled by, he revealed himself to Moses. Moses was the next like key pivot point figure. And do you remember the first thing that he said to Moses? He said, Moses, take the sandals from your feet, for where you are standing is holy. And in Moses's Epoch. That was really what it was about. God was almighty. He was the almighty God, the God that wasn't uh, relegated to one local area, but he's also a holy God. And that's what the entire law was about. So Moses leads the people of Israel, the nation, the family of God that God made a promise to. He leads them out of Egypt. He He releases them from slavery first. Notice the order here. He releases them from slavery first, then gives them the law says, first I save you, then I command you to obey. It's not the opposite. He doesn't say, first obey so I can save you. He says, first I will save you, then I will give you my law so that you can better know me and know that I am holy. And that's what this whole section is about. The entire nation of Israel, their whole time, right up until the time of Christ, God was teaching the world through them and them, I'm a holy God. I'm completely other than you. A moral perfection to a degree that you cannot possibly understand. And so there was ceremony and sacrifice to teach them that sin just isn't not a big deal. It has to be covered some way. And then it leads right up until the cross where God says, I'm, I'll tell you what, what I'm going to do. I'm going to fulfill that entire law that I gave you. I'm going to have the Son of God himself. Only God can rescue these humans. So God himself is going to come to the rescue, and he's going to pay that penalty. He's going to be the sacrifice. He's going to fulfill all the ceremonies. So now it's not just the family of Abraham. It's all the families of the world, just like he promised. And he says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you see that this was always his plan? This was the plan that Joseph's family was a part of. They just didn't know it. They knew they were part of something. They just didn't know what the plan was. Now we see it much more clearly. And then at some point in our future, Jesus is going to return. This is in the red there. He's going to return, but he returns as a conquering king. 
And he says, um, the age of grace, you're out of time. If you were going to get right with God, you had your chance. That was it. Now, he's communicating as physically, personally reigning in the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus says, as I told you, I will not endure evil forever. And he wipes out evil entirely, including everyone that did not turn back to him as king. That's the story of God's rescue. That's where these brothers are. Now let's pan back in. They are right, you know, in the middle of that brown right there. They don't know the story, and you and I don't know our story. We don't know where it leads. We don't know what it means if we get through the affliction that we're in, if we get through the difficulty and the conviction and the weight of what we're going through. We don't know how that blesses the generations ahead of us. But rest assured, there is a story and there is purpose to your trial. So let's pan back in now with the boys. Genesis 42.1, when Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, Jacob's the dad, he said to his sons, why are you standing around looking at one another? I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise, I'll die. It's amazing he had to tell them that. You know, there's, there's 11 more. None of them had this idea. So they go down to Egypt. Verse 3, so Joseph's 10 older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain. He has one younger brother that didn't go with them. That's Benjamin. But Jacob, verse 4, but Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with them for fear some harm might come to him. Remember, because the last time one of his boys disappeared with the other ones, he didn't come back. And that was Joseph. And 20 years later, this is 20 years later now, Jacob is still sore about that. So Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt along with others to buy food for the, fam for the famine was in Canaan as well. Since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that the brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Now this is just the fulfillment of prophecy. This is what it was about. This is what the dreams were about. This is what God was telling Joseph when he was a 17-year-old boy. This is what's going to happen with your family. They're going to come and they're going to honor you and they're going to recognize your authority, and here it is happening before Joseph's eyes. Of course, the brothers don't know that it's Joseph. He's clean-shaven. He looks Egyptian. He's using an interpreter to speak a different language than they are familiar with. Verse 7, Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pre pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from, he demanded. From the land of Canaan, they replied. We have come to buy food. So here's the question of this particular scripture unit that we're all supposed to be asking. The tension is, would Joseph hold a grudge? What's he going to do? He is now, he has the power to snap his fingers and they will be put to death. He could do whatever he wants to these guys. Remember that this is not just their brother now. This is the one that when he drives by in his chariot, everyone is commanded to say, bow down, bow down. Though he was once a slave, he is used to very royal treatment now. Now, whatever he says is what goes. And think about if it was you. Like, we're like, man, I hope Joseph does the right thing. But what if it was you? What if you were the one who was falsely accused? You were the one who was sold as a slave. And then you see right in front of you the very people that did it. And yet Joseph, he doesn't immediately just bring the hammer. Instead, we, we're going to see him wrestling here. 
I don't know, man. He could either just have them killed instantly, but I'm more sadistic than that. I'd probably be like, we're going to torture you guys for a couple years. You know what I'm saying? There's some payback coming now, which he could have easily done. But that's not what he did. Even though life and death is in his hands, he chooses another way. It's the more noble way. It's actually the Jesus way. And that is, here's these people that once upon a time, he told them, someday God is going to have me to lead you, essentially, is what it was. And now he says, I know part of my flesh would like to maybe get even, but instead I'm going to do what Jesus would do. See, Jesus takes people that betrayed him and he says, I'm going to give you what you need and not what you deserve, and I'm going to lead you in the right way. And so Joseph devises a test to lead them toward the right thing because his question is, well, did they change? Are these different guys than the guys that sold me into slavery? And if there's a chance that, they are, that they're different, I would want to know about it. And so he devises this test. Verse 10 says, No, no, my Lord, they exclaimed, your servants have simply come to buy food. Verse 11, we are all, we are all brothers, members of the same family. We are honest men, sir. We are not spies. Isn't it interesting that they say we are honest men to Joseph? And that's the question that Joseph is asking. Well, are you? How honest were you with Jacob when you came home and I wasn't there and you showed him that bloody ripped up coat? How honest were you then? Does he even know that I'm alive? Hey, how honest were you when you took 30 pieces of silver for my very life? Were you really honest? It's amazing. It's tripping me out, guys, that you're telling me you're honest. And yet, he's going to give them a shot. Sir, they said, there are actually 12 of us, your servants, all of us brothers, sons of man living in the land of Canaan. Our youngest brother's back there with our father right now. Well, that's a good news. At least they didn't sell him. And one of our brothers is no longer with us. They can't even say his name. So riddled with guilt and shame about it. They can't even say his name. Verse 16 Joseph says, one of you must go get your brother. I'll keep the rest of you here in prison. So Joseph put them in prison for three days. He says, why don't you think about it for a little while? Now, Joseph was a prisoner for 13 years. He's like, they can do three days, right? He probably takes better care of them anyway than he was taken care of. Let him just think for a minute. And then he actually gets a different plan, as we're going to see. He gets a little bit of a better plan. And I think the reason he puts them in here is so he has time to think. Sometimes we just need time to think. He was surprised that these guys show up all of a sudden. And now he's like, hi. He's surprised that these guys show up all of a sudden, and he takes time to think. He takes time to pray. I believe we know that from the text. You won't see it on the screen clearly, but I'll just read it to you. Verse 18 says, On the third day, Joseph said to them, I'm a God-fearing man. If you do as I say, you will live. Now he says, I fear Elohim, not Egyptian gods, the Hebrew God. I fear the God you guys are supposed to be serving. I think he's had some kind of interaction with God in between these three days. And now he's got a better idea. He's going to say, I'll tell you what, um, why don't all y'all go back? I'll keep one. That way you can bring a lot of food back to the family that he actually is genuinely concerned something's going to happen to them if they starve. Verse 21, speaking among themselves, they said, clearly, now listen to this, clearly we're being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. Now he can overhear this. 
Okay, they're, they're kind of off to the side, but he can still hear it as you're going to see in his reaction in a second. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. Now he turned away from them and began to weep. When he regained his composure, he spoke to them again. Then he chose Simeon from among them and had him tied up right before their eyes. Joseph is so interesting, man. He's, he's, he's getting back a little in some ways, and yet he's resisting unleashing his full power. He ties up Simeon. Simeon was the oldest brother present when he was sold. Simeon, you didn't do anything, so you're getting tied up. You're staying here with these guys, but they still get to go back and feed their family, and he's crying over what they've done. Here we see again how Joseph is kind of like a Jesus. He's, he's not gloating. He's not like, see, you idiots. Told you my dream was real. He's not gloating about it. He's weeping over his brothers. And Jesus doesn't gloat over us and say, I, I deserve to get back at you. He weeps for us in our sin. Verse 25, Joseph then ordered his servants to fill the man's sacks with grain, just like Jesus would. But he also gave secret instructions to return each brother's payment at the top of his sack. He sneaks it in. He also gave them supplies for the journey home. But when they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get grain for his donkey. He found money at the top of his sack. Now listen to this. See, if I found money, how many when you find money, you start to like get upset about it? Not me. If I find money, dude, I'm doing cartwheels. These guys find money in their sack. But listen how they respond. Look, he exclaimed to his brothers, my money's been returned to me. It's here in my sack. Then their hearts sank. Trembling, they said to each other, what has God done to us? See, when we feel guilty, even a good thing feels like maybe that's just God showing me, reminding me that he's still good even though I've done evil. So our question again, can you and I trust that sometimes God allows bad things in order to bring about a better thing? That's what's really happening to the brothers right now. Our first step toward redemption often feels like we're going down the drain. So how does down the drain? So how does God soften His people for redemption? Number one, I guess it might come back on the screen at some point. God softens hearts through the pricking of our conscience. Through the pricking of our conscience, verse twenty-one and twenty-eight is really where these brothers say clearly we're being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. They're their conscience were seared, and now they're thawing. They're coming back online. They're, they've spent so long in self-defense for why they had good reason to do what they did, but now finally God's getting them through the conscience, and that's how we know sometimes that God's at work in our lives because that old conscience starts to wrap on our heart again. It says, I know you tried to push it down, but that's not what you do with sin. You don't push it down. There's only one thing you can do with sin, and that's bring it to the cross. You gotta unveil that thing. You gotta show it to Jesus. You gotta hear him say, You are forgiven, not just try to forget about it on your own. See, even here, when God is bringing conviction, just like with the brothers, really what it is is God's favor. We shouldn't push down conviction or the feeling of guilt because God is being good to us. Because what is he trying to do? He's trying to get us back on track. He's trying to get us to the place where we can be blessed and be a blessing. Recently, my wife and I went on a trip. We went down to Florida. And 
I was going through that machine at the TSA, you know, security place where you, they're going to give you a little beep if you have any kind of metal on you or whatever. So I go through this machine and I get a little beep because I had this brace on that I forgot there was even any metal in it, but they stopped me. I can't go through. I can't get to where my wife and I are supposed to go. And you know, the Holy Spirit of God uses our conscience to be kind of a little metal detection beeper. He's, you see, the Holy Spirit's holy, and so he's scanning for holiness. He's looking for things that don't make sense within a holy vessel like he wants us to be after we come to Christ. And he'll just, he'll go, eh, eh, no, eh, that's still there. Hello, eh. And here, here's the problem. We, can't, we can get away from the TSA machine. You, know, so we, you could just run if you wanted to. You can't run from the Holy Ghost. He just goes with you. But what he's also saying, just like that gate is, you cannot progress until you deal with this thing. You can't get where God wants you to go until you come out about this thing. Whether you confess it to somebody else, whether you need to just confess it to the Lord, whatever you need to do, that thing has to, you have to obey it. Obey the eh and go ahead and confess that thing, get it out. And these guys, they're straight up haunted, man. This is following them around, and they are weighted down. It's such a mercy of God to weigh us down with our guilt. We're a generation that tries to get away from guilt too quickly. There's a reason God built that in. It's, to, it's not to make us feel bad. It's to, get, it's to make us feel bad enough to make us reach for Jesus because he's the balm to our soul. These guys are feeling bad. It reminds me of Psalm 32, verse 3 and 4. When I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. How many know what that feels like? I know what that feels like. The Holy Ghost lovingly, isn't, isn't he faithful? The Holy Spirit of God? He doesn't like, you think he'd be like, fine, forget it, and just walk away. But he will bring up sometimes stuff that you forgot was even there. Because he's like, no, we need to get this right. It's not because I want you to feel bad. It's because I want you to get blessed. That's why I'm bringing it up again. And so sometimes, let's not walk through this too quickly, okay? You shouldn't just walk around feeling bad all the time. But when you're feeling guilty, there should be a like, Lord, is there anything you're trying to tell me? Anything you're trying to get through to me? Now, here's a, an extra bonus step. This is a little bit of extra credit homework. One way that might really mess with you is to say, what is the test that God is trying to get me to pass here? What is the thing that I keep not obeying in that he's just trying to like send an alarm bell about so that I'll just get on it? And if you really want to be bold, ask somebody close to you, say, what test do you think the Lord wants me to pass? Look at my behavior and tell me what you think the Lord wants me to change about it. You better really trust somebody if you ask them that question because they're going to unload. They'll be like, I've been waiting years. All right, get out the notebook. Here we go. But that's a way, if you're serious, for someone to reflect back to you, well, maybe this. Maybe, you know, you've been, you've been talking about this for years, but you keep walking in this. Maybe the Spirit of God is trying to bring this up. So we said, number one, God softens hearts through the pricking of our conscience. And number two, God softens hearts through allowing affliction. So Joseph put them in prison for three days. Here, I know it's kind of strange, but Joseph is actually imaging God the Father, bringing discipline in order to bring about blessing. 
He's testing the boys. He sends them into, it's a baby affliction compared to what they've been through. They're probably fed better in that jail than they would have been at home. But he images God by doing this because God knows often when our conscience won't do the trick, affliction can. When he allows just enough pain to get us to, instead of just trying to wriggle out of it, to start asking self-reflective questions. Is, is, this, is this God? Is there any part of this God that is you? I remember when I was real sick, and you guys hear about this probably too much. I use this as an illustration. But when I was, when I was sick for four and a half years, you know, after about three, four weeks, I calmed down. And I said, Lord, are you, are you trying to tell me something? And part of that lesson of that four, that four and a half years was humble yourself. And that's a heart thing. That wasn't just a thing you say or a thing you do. That was a heart thing. And here's the thing about some tests. They take a long time to work in the virtue that God's trying to work in. It's not just like a click. It's not just like, oh, okay, cool. Thanks for telling me God done with that. No, some things have to be worked in, and that takes time. And so it's just very wise to ask God, what are you trying to do? I really think in some ways the world has missed a ginormous opportunity in the last year because we got so busy trying to solve COVID that there wasn't a moment of, Lord, are you trying to tell us anything? Is there any reason, any, any deeper thing we should be looking for? I know pandemics just happened, you know. I know the viruses are real, but could we not have taken a little time and say, God, what are you trying to say? Is there some place that you're trying to point out that we could go ahead and repent because sometimes that's what it takes in order for us to get the alarm bell. Sometimes it takes loss. Sometimes it takes sickness. Sometimes it takes change that we didn't really want. And yet there it is challenging us. Here's a scripture that probably everyone should know. This was really encouraging for me while I was sick. It's really how Joseph is treating these brothers. It's how the Lord treats us. Hebrews 12, starting verse 5. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. People don't like this section, by the way. Like, I don't want to read that. Well, it's here anyway, so it's not going anywhere. We might as well just read it. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. That is huge. Endure hardship as discipline. Now, discipline and hardship are mysterious, man. We don't always know what God is trying to say through it. You know, the entire book of Job is about the fact that sometimes your suffering has nothing to do with anything you did. And we need compassion in those moments and a sense of like, this doesn't mean I'm doing something wrong. But the writer of Hebrews says, nevertheless, even so, it is wise. If there's difficulty you're going through, to say, Lord, are there disciplinary actions that you're, or lessons that you're trying to get into me? If endure hardship as discipline, God is treating you as children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? Well, a whole lot today, but that's not God's way. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? Okay, so he's, he's saying um, all hardship, you should at least consider the possibility that God is trying to uh, provide 
an affliction allowance so that you can grow in godliness and be more blessable. And he reminds us it's for our good. You know, I don't know any parent that has ever brought any kind of discipline on their kids that hasn't at some point or another been like, did I mess that up? Did I do that wrong? Was I like 80% right but 20% dumb in what I just said or did to that child? Here's some good news. God is always right with his discipline. He's never a little off. He's never a little much. He always knows exactly how much to do and exactly when to do it. And he does it so that his children will be responsible, so we can actually be more useful to him. The oyster notices the grain of sand that is beginning to irritate it, and so it begins to coat it and coat it. It's still irritating, but it coats that grain of sand until finally we find something of great beauty, and that's a pearl. And sometimes there's something irritating in our lives, and it's an affliction And God says, coat that thing in prayer and acceptance and trust, and I'm going to make it something beautiful because that's what redemption is. I take things that are broken and irritating and difficult, and I don't make them necessarily feel good, but I create something good and wise and helpful and something that you would want to praise God about. So let's not under-consider it. That means don't just shuck it off. Don't just be like, ah, it's probably nothing. No, go ahead and triple consider that thing. But also, don't lose heart. Because God's not an angry dad. Maybe you had an angry parent that really disciplined you inappropriately. Good Bible discipline doesn't include anger. doesn't include frustration. It just includes consequence for wrong behavior. And God, that's how God does it. He's not frustrated. He's not angry. All his anger was poured out on the Son of God on the cross. He has none left for you. But he does provide good, appropriate amount discipline. And so our best play at that moment is to, let's try to avoid complaining, which is not always easy. I say, Lord, I trust you. And that might be the hard moment that some of us are in right now. You're in an affliction. And there's nothing you can do about it. You know, there's there's stuff that we can do with some trials. We can just get out of it. There's others. There's nothing you can do. And all we can do is say, God, I don't like this but I give you glory that you are a good father and you do nothing arbitrarily. You're not trying to hurt me to hurt me, but to bring about a more blessable life so that those in the story after me are more blessable as well. I want to close with this idea. I don't know if you noticed this about the brothers, if you've been paying attention. They're not that bright. I don't know if you noticed this about the apostles. They're not that bright. I don't know if you've noticed it about you and me. We're not always that bright. Here's some great news. (laughs) Jesus is smarter than Joseph. Joseph got a lot of this right. You can see him wrestling in his heart, but it still turns out good, as we'll see in the future in the story. Jesus always gets it right. Jesus has the right plan. That means Jesus will come just at the right time. You won't drown, Peter. I know that you're going under. You're looking at that wind and waves. Jesus knows just when to snatch you and pull you up. Jesus knows just when to come to Bethany so he can raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus knows just the right amount that you need for your miracle. He knows when to do it. He knows how much to prick your conscience. He knows how much affliction you should and could and could stand 
and have, he knows when to come at the right time. So my challenge to you today, can you trust that sometimes things have to get a little worse before they can get a little better? And in that, can you trust Jesus to always have your best interest in mind and always be working for the glory of God's plan and for your good? Let's pray. Jesus, there is no one like you. There is no God but you. You are brilliant and compassionate. And we just want to thank you for being that older brother to us that we need but don't deserve. We thank you so much for not condemning us but coming to get us, to draw us to yourself so we could be safe in your arms. God, affliction is hard. And conscience can be screwy feeling sometimes. So we ask for great discernment. We ask for great help. And I pray for everyone that maybe needs to confess something today or go to somebody and confess something. I pray that you just give them the courage to do it. I pray that you take them, help them sense that you're taking their hand and you would show very quickly the blessing you can bring for obedient steps like that. And I pray for everyone undergoing affliction, for those that you can warp zone out of it, let's do it, God. But for those who are gonna be here for a while, oh God, give us grace to lay our head on your chest again and say, I don't get it, but I trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being his witness in our generation, check out Fierce.Church. We'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast available wherever you get your podcast from. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.